0: Daily Father, thank you for giving us this opportunity to be here this evening. Thank you for family, this family, Father. May we never become familiar with it, but just embrace it, love it, enjoy it while we have each other, while we have these opportunities to fellowship together, to break bread this way. This is truly special, Father. In a world that's just so decrepit and decaying, what a breath of fresh air this is. May we never become familiar with it. Father, we pray for those in the congregation that can't be with us this evening. Your will be done, of course, but we pray that you return them to the fold as soon as possible so that we might fellowship and enjoy their company as well. Father, we pray for those that are still lost in this world without hope that they be humbled. Set aside that self-life that's so sticky. Be saved so we might have additional family members with us for all of eternity. Most of all, we are grateful for the work that your son accomplished on a cross to make an evening like this a reality. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. <clears throat> Part two of the other side of grace. Again, this evening, very encouraging message because we're going to get another healthy dose of perspective. And perspective is everything. So Sunday's message was obviously titled, The Other Side of Grace, Uh, and if you didn't catch it, uh, make sure you do, Um, especially if you're listening online or catch this after the fact, make sure you get both parts. It'll make a lot more sense, Um, but we're going to do a quick overview before we dig in a little deeper. Um, And just FYI, like I mentioned before class, I had intended on taking us back to the to Proverbs 17, but Spirit had different ideas. But we're really close because we're finished. We're pretty much finished with verse 6, which was all that work on family. And we've gotten. We're going to be turning the corner uh, to verse 7. We might actually get a teaser of that this evening, but I I, I doubt it. But who knows? Um, but nonetheless, the past two messages, how this happened, how this special you know, on, um, you know, the other side of grace. Um, It came out or it came about as a result of our work that began the last two messages in the book of Ecclesiastes, right? Um, Where Solomon's wisdom is on full display. And the capstone of our reading the last couple of messages has been actually captured in Ecclesiastes 1.9, go there. Ecclesiastes 1, verse 9. So this is what prompted us, or at least the vehicle that the Spirit used to get us to these messages. Right? I think it's because we get familiar with His grace. I think it's because it's easy to do. Um, we love to love ourselves. We love doing that thing, and so we are very good at losing perspective. Um, Ecclesiastes 1 9. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Nothing. And that should just really, I don't know, snap us in the forehead snap us out of it, wake us up, and say, you know what? Let's not be self-absorbed anymore. Let's not be selfish. Let's not be egocentric. Let's, let's look at this the other way. Let's look at the other side of all this thing we call life and how we can spend our time and what a different perspective can make in that endeavor. There's nothing new under the sun. So to help us with this, we have been considering Jonah's personal struggles with God. The natural thing to do is say, oh yeah, Jonah, I get it. And we relate to the person. And that makes sense, and that's a good thing. Nothing wrong with that. But there's other things that we had to sort of uh, glean from that good labor. For starters, though, up here on the board, in terms of gratitude, this was a message, or this was a lesson that Jonah had to learn. This was a sort of gird your loins, Jonah, moment in Holy Scripture. In Jonah 4, if you remember, God gave a plant, and then he took it away. He said, let that be a lesson to you. Gratitude. We must be grateful for the blessings we have today, because there's no guarantee they will remain forever. We've got to be grateful for the blessings we have today because there's no guarantee they will remain forever. And then we looked at, uh, you know, how we might relate to the plant. So that the message or the principle on the board is from Jonah's perspective. But what about the other side? The other side of grace where you're not just you're not the receiver of it. You are the instrument or the giver to God's glory. So we related to the plant in the story of Jonah as instruments manifesting temporal expressions of God's grace and mercy towards others. Sometimes we're that instrument. We're like the plant. And it doesn't mean we're going to be that blessing for someone else forever. But it's real critical in that moment for God's purposes for us to obey, to follow his lead, to be that blessing for it at least a time and that's all temporal means right doesn't mean it's permanent God demands we express his mercy with absolute integrity in any and every circumstance and this means as we've noted with um, Jonah that we are to function with integrity towards even our enemies not just those we prefer to love or pray for or what have you, reach out to, extend a hand of grace to, not just those people that we like, but integrity says anyone. Right? Imagine if the plant had its own brain. Right? It would have been like, you really want to cover this jackass right now? Right? Do you understand what I'm getting at? Did it matter? No. That was the same thing. Jonah was doing it to the Ninevites right when god demands we express his mercy or his grace mercy is just grace in action right it's just another form of grace we're supposed to do it with integrity with integrity you don't know what god's trying to accomplish in that other person in that moment it could be that day they need to hear from someone who they know is not their friend do you ever think about that They might need to hear from someone who they know is not their friend. Therefore, when they get the truth, they go, hmm, it's not like mommy's just telling me I'm a handsome little boy like she always has. You know what I'm getting at? It's not just more sugar from someone who loves me. There's a reason why we have to function with integrity because we don't know how God can use us in the lives of others. Is there a special treatment towards those of the faith? As in, we are to do especially good to those of the faith? Yeah, according to Holy Scripture up here. Galatians 6, 9-10 reads, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith do we have a special calling in other words towards those of the faith yes we do but we can't forget the first part of that statement let us do good to everyone especially to those of the faith but let us do good to everyone and i was thinking about the dynamics of that uh, you know that command in scripture here's a good question do you have, or have you ever had, anyone in your life that you're not particularly fond of personally? Say you don't even, you just don't like their personality, and they are a believer, as far as you know. In other words, do you have folks in your life that you aren't about to invite to dinner, over to dinner, anytime soon? <laughs> uh, that just so happen to be a child of God. Does the Bible say we have to like everyone else? Not that I can see. I don't know where it says we have to like everyone. We just read that especially to those of the household of faith, do good. But what if I don't like them? So, what does that even matter? God didn't ask if you liked them. Maybe they don't like you either. That's not the point, right? Like I just said, you don't know what God's trying to work out in them. It might be actually really useful that the subjectivity of liking each other is out of the picture when you give to them in some way, shape, or form. So the Bible doesn't say we have to like everyone else, but it does say this up here on the board, John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you like everyone else? Nope that you love one another as I have loved you. We even know that, you know, Jesus had some, apparently, that he liked more than others because of personalities. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, personalities are personalities. It doesn't say you have to like everyone. But he loved everyone and he said i loved you now you love others i loved you enough to die for you is it too much to ask that you love others that i'm not even asking you to die for i'm just asking you to lay down your life a little bit for because that's the greater love so while we don't see holy scripture that says we have to like everyone We do see the commandment to love. And as we've learned in the past, this isn't personal love. It's not that subjective kind of love. Uh, It's a love that is expressed as a function of being in love. That's been a theme that's been coming from this pulpit for a while now. Being in love, or as I like to say, being in the sphere of love. In other words, getting to that place where you're with God. And because you're with God inside of that sphere, you're in love because God is love. And so when you're in love, you're, you express. That's what love does. Now, I've taught this several times. Love can't help but express itself. This kind of love is an expressive love. It bears good fruit because that's what a good tree does. And when you're in love, you bear love. You bear good fruit. And that's how, if we trace back, I don't know, four months now, that's how others see the Lord in you. and Isn't that a good thing? Yeah, because we want everyone to see the Lord. We want everyone to see Him so that they're attracted to Him and they're saved. If we misinterpret the Bible on this topic, we are going to live miserable lives. We're going to live miserable lives. Why? Well... I was thinking about that, you know, we can't make ourselves like someone else any more than we can make ourselves like every flavor of ice cream, right? If someone said, okay, listen, if you, right now, like rum raisin ice cream, most of you are like, oh, or frozen pudding, sorry old people, yeah, the old people are like, yeah, right? Some ghastly, you know ice cream, right? I'll give you a million bucks Could you do it? No Because you can't make yourself like something you don't like you don't have a taste for it You don't have an affinity for it. It's how you're built Okay, that's fine You can't make yourself like another human being So stop being fake, it's not about being a fake It's about being in love. Unless God changes our tastes for others, we must be honest with ourselves and accept that we just may not like every child of God. And you know what? That's perfectly fine, it's completely fine. I mean, I, I, was a, a, I was of a family of four, and I was the least liked by my own mother. <laughs> Just kidding. You know what I'm saying. You know, I mean, who cares? So you have different personalities, whatever. It's perfectly fine that you don't like everyone. No one, not everyone likes you either, right? For example, I'm, I am certain, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that my particular personality isn't appealing to everyone hearing my voice right now, either now or later. <laughs> Did you just laugh? Oh. <laughs> I heard it here go... <laughs> I'm like, oh, the audacity. It's just an illustration. <laughs> just it's true. I mean, I, honestly... I'm perfectly okay with that. Like, honest to God, legitimately, perfectly okay with it. I mean, I actually wouldn't expect otherwise. If you think every ugh, this is a this is a ugh, this is a tortured life in a nutshell, I have to have everyone like me. Oh, that is literally setting yourself up for torture every day. Of your life because it's just not going to happen so you have to be okay with people not everyone liking you and they might be really close to you they might live in the same house as you you don't know okay the key point here is that we aren't called to like everyone else but we are commanded to love them there's a difference we are commanded to love them And if that's all confusing to you, or if it's confusing at all to you, then keep reading your Bible and pray for wisdom, just like the Bible says. If you're one of those people that has a really hard time when you find out someone doesn't really like you, pray for wisdom. Because you'll realize that you're not supposed to be liked by everyone. God might actually use that. Think about that. He might use you one day. He might use that abrasive personality that you've got towards someone else, or that's how they perceive you, you know, that unlikable personality. They may use you as a... He may use you as a function of that dynamic. He might say, I need to get somebody in there that this person just doesn't like. Because every time I send someone in there that they like, Something weird happens, a certain dynamic happens, I can't get through to them. I've got to get through to them with this person, the thorn, the one they don't like. And so that's how you have to look at personal dynamics, that God has a plan, and it's perfect. In the meantime, here's some encouragement from Holy Scripture that we noted on Sunday up here in the board, Ephesians 4, 32-5, 2. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Consider, you know, Romans 5:10, we're going to get there in a moment. Therefore, be imitators of God, excuse me, <clears throat> be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So that's some wonderful encouragement, with a little bit of perspective, right? How about you be kind to one another, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you? How's that for perspective? Again, when the good Lord chooses you, or chooses to use you to express himself to humanity, it's your job to obey. That's why it's a command. As we've been learning it's a lot easier to obey God's commands when we have proper perspective and therefore motivation it's a lot easier to obey his commands when we have proper perspective and therefore motivation amen yeah honestly go to Romans 5 6 Romans 5 6 that's how easy this is that's the beauty of studying the Word of God you're set free by it. You say, oh my word, I've never thought of it that way. I never thought that God might design my relationships in such a way that I, no matter how hard I try, I'm just not that person's favorite. Right? And eventually God will use me as a function of not being the favorite to, who knows, maybe even evangelize that person. Maybe you're the only one that can get through to them. Maybe they don't really care for you because you do stand for something, and they don't like it, and you don't know what it is. But in that moment, it works. Romans 5, 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. We were enemies and now we're reconciled. So, back to Jonah's case where we considered ourselves in the position of the plant. Representatives of God's mercy which is really an expression of grace which is an expression of by the by, of love. Grace and mercy, they're just expressions of love. In other words, we are the very hand of God in the lives of others whenever we obey His command to love. We are acting on behalf of God. We are propagating His love in this world to others. And it shouldn't matter if they are someone you like or not. That should not, it shouldn't matter. Their personality should have nothing to do with it. We can't always view key concepts in the Bible or in our lives in a practical sense from the receiver's perspective only. We often think of God's grace. The first thing we think about is, yeah, what has God given me lately? Is that fair? Most likely, right? Right? God's so gracious, keep going, to me, right? Isn't that what most people say? He's just, God is just so gracious and so merciful to me. That's typically our perspective. It's always about us. It's always about receiving grace. It's always about receiving mercy, right? That's our habit. And the Spirit's saying, that's good, good place to start understanding grace. But as you mature, I want you to go to the other side of grace. Because it's still grace. It's the other side where I can start using you as a giver. When you start obeying the command to love others. And that's when you are transformed into a giver. That, my friends, according to Jesus, is when your socks get blessed off. Because he said it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? So you want to get to the other side of grace. You don't want the childlike adolescent me, 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 gimme, gimme, gimme more attitude. That's a stunted growth. You want to get to the other side of grace. Because that's when your everything opens up. That's when you're truly set free. That's when you start living for others. And God really starts blessing your socks off. And then you start considering yourself just a vessel or a conduit, you know, where grace just flows through you. And the faster it goes through you, the more you're blessed out and the more mind-blow you, you experience in time. So we can't always view the key concepts in the Bible like grace from a receiver's perspective only. For example, we can't just expect love to flow towards us, and that's the better part of it. God loves, do we ever stop there? Not really. God loves me so much. I just know it. He's so good to me. He winks, you know, he winks at me. I feel the warm sun on my face, and I know, he. and that is true. Those are blessings, don't get me wrong. But we tend to stick there. We tend to go from the warm, this, to the fresh air, to the nice meal, and to the, you know, the family. It's, it tends to be receivership. We can't just expect love to flow towards us, and that's the best part of it. We must always remember the other side of grace, the other side of love, if we're to complete the thought up here on the board the other side of grace don't just remember jonah remember the plant also don't just relate to jonah but relate to being the instrument god might choose to use at any time as a blessing in the life of another what an what an honor to be used right it's one of the things i don't know about you but you know when you do something like right now like i'm up here i'm i'm kind of tired tonight i'm not gonna lie right but i'm here and i consider it an honor and a privilege to be able to be a vessel in some way for you it really is it's an honor i mean i you know my body's like hey can we just go home and lay down (laughs) my my heart is like no way you've got this incredible privilege this church is is open and you've got people that are hungry for the word of truth and you have the ability to give it to them, No way. You staying home, bud? Uh uh-uh. uh. This is way. This is way better than sleep. Even the practical point up here on the board, up here on the board, is perspective on grace. Grace must be first. Uh, must first be given through some instrument before it can be received. It is implied. In order for grace to flow freely, it mustn't be hampered by selfishness. For example, wanting to keep one's time, energy, finances, etc. for self. It can't stop with you. That's not the blessing. That's not what the Bible teaches us about being blessed. Right? When Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive, well, you can't give the what you don't have, so you must have received it in the first place so it's implied. So there's an implication of flow. What's he saying? He's saying the second part of that flow is where all the blessings are. It's more blessed to give. In other words, God's grace is meant to flow, not be stockpiled, which is why Jesus told the parable of the rich man. Go to Luke 12, 16. Luke 12, 16. This is why Jesus, in part, told the parable of the rich man. Or at least it's a lesson in the parable. Luke 12:16. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there, excuse me, I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years, relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Again, appear on the board, Grace must first be given through some instrument before it can be received. In order for grace to flow freely, it mustn't be hampered by selfishness. This selfishness affects our motivation. This selfishness affects our motivation to give because it is absent of the kind of love Jesus commands us to have for one another. Something's broken. Something's stuffy. Something's stuck. Grace isn't flowing. Again, the selfishness affects our motivation to give because it is absent of the kind of love Jesus commands us to have for one another. So the litmus test is whether or not we give for self or for others. I'm going to give to myself. Or I might even be, you know, religious and give to someone else, but still for myself. Still so I can, you know, feel good about myself when i tell everybody or everybody sees or whatever you know i can just keep reminding myself see i'm not that bad of a guy i give to other people you know i I do my thing i do my part you know the religious thing where you give to others and it's still about you so the litmus test is whether or not we give for self or for others do we give to say we give and that would be covert arrogance right or do we give freely to god's glory Go to Matthew 6.1. Matthew 6, verse 1. This is the litmus test. How do we give? How do we know if we're being selfish? We know that true love can't help but express itself. Well, are we expressing ourselves? Are we giving with that kind of love, that selfless love that Christ gave us when we were His enemies, even? Romans 6.1 one. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 6, 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. In other words, that's as good as it gets, bud. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So the religious Jews during Jesus' time, they were really good at tooting their own horns. They were really good. So Jesus, it was a layup for Jesus to be able to tell that story, right, or to speak that way, because he had these religious Jews that were really good at doing very that very thing practicing righteousness so everybody could see that's a selfish endeavor this is the fruit that revealed their crooked selfish hearts stated more deeply or more accurately more poignantly um, they loved self more than others they loved self more than others up here on the board. Remember, at the root of every false religion is selfishness. At the root of every false religion is selfishness. You can find it. Most of them doesn't take very long. Why do you, you know, on a Sunday morning, let's say, you go to the, the church with the big steeple and all the cars in the parking lot and everybody's acting a certain way and you're all dressed up in your Sunday best. Why? Nothing wrong with looking good, but you know what I'm getting at. Why you, Mr. Religious Man or Mr. Religious Woman, why are you out so I can look good? So that I look the part? So that no one looks at me second, you know, with a with a raised brow? Uh, I, I am a whitewashed tomb, in other words. And it's always about me. It's not about orienting to God. It's not about being selfless. These people don't go to those places because they really want to serve other people. They're serving themselves. They're just playing a game. At the root of every false religion is that thing, and that's called selfishness. Even their piety, their practicing righteousness, is a form of selfishness. That's why Jesus called them hypocrites. That's the whole point. At the root of every false religion is selfishness. And you all have a little false religion in you, so don't point fingers. You all have done something probably this week. You know, that was kind of like, well, I'm going to do this so someone else thinks more highly of me. I'm going to do this thing so I can feel good about myself. It has literally nothing to do with the other person. Right? There's nothing wrong with feeling good about yourself when you really do help somebody that's a that's grace flowing through you but what happens when you don't really care they did just a pawn in your little scheme right it doesn't matter who it is just find somebody so that you can do something that makes you look good we we all do stuff like that we all do stuff like that um, on the flip side a truly loving person is a selfless person a selfless person selfless people here's the beauty of god the sphere of god's love selfless people enjoy giving they don't just enjoy it they look for opportunities to do it if you knew something if every time you all right if every time you touched this it made you smile your entire body warmed up and you smiled you couldn't help but smile there'd be a line around the church Right? If you know something results in goodness, aren't you going to do it? Why don't you give them? Right? So you had more faith in this little thing than you do in God's promises or Jesus' own words and when he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. You don't believe it yet. <laughs> That's basically what it comes down to. You lack faith. No one here has perfect faith which is why we don't live selflessly for everyone the way we should. We like to think we do, but the litmus test is, do you actually enjoy finding things to bring glory to God, to, 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 to give to someone else? Do you, do you look for those opportunities? Do you relish those opportunities? Are those the highlights of your day? Being able to lay down your life for someone else to love another person? To their well, for their welfare, for their well-being? Possibly for their salvation if you're going to evangelize them? Do you look for that kind of a thing? That's a selfless person. And don't be condemned if you're not there yet because nobody's there 100%. The perfect example is Jesus and nobody's Jesus. We're all in this road. We start off really selfish, even right after salvation. We start off really selfish because we have all that baggage. And we have to be, like, delivered from it. And that takes faith, and faith Romans uh, what, ten seventeen comes from hearing. Hearing what the word of Christ. It takes time to become selfless, or selfless, <laughs> selfless. Right. Go to Second Corinthians nine six. Second Corinthians nine six, and that's why you're doing what you're doing right now. Eventually, you become more selfless and less selfish. And lo and behold, you end up being blessed for it. It's like, man, oh man. It's like that old V8 commercial. Could have had a V8. Right? Could have done that. Oh, it's like, oh man, I could have done that in my twenties. did it take me until I was 60? I could have been having all this fun back in my twenties. Instead, I was being the most selfish jackass in the history of mankind. But I did go to church. I had my little suit (laughs) second Corinthians 9 6 the point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver you see that's the person who gets blessed so you can't fake it till you make it per se right Uh, and expect those kinds of blessings, that level of blessing. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You see, he's encouraging you. You see, it's like a, there's like a vacuum to it, right? You give, and he's like, that's awesome. Now I'm going to just fill your cup up again. And it kind of like, you know, you're going to abound even more. And he says, "Great, I'm going to give you more." And you're like, "Wait, this is awesome! You mean I all I have to do is like spend it? It's like having a bank account with an unlimited—you know—you can just sign blank checks. And you're like, "This is a blast!" Right? And he says, "Do you want more?" Ah, yeah. Right? You just can't give it to yourself, so to speak, right? Let somebody else do that for you, right? And he's like, "I'll just keep pouring it in, and you'll get your socks blessed out." So it's like a like a vortex, right? right? You get sucked into it. It's awesome. That's the, that's the whole idea of it. Verse 9, as it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You see what he's doing? He's saying, go for it. Go for it. Spend away. Let grace flow out of you. Love freely. You see? I will take care of the back end. Verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. I won't fail you, in other words. If you do this with proper motivation, I will make sure that you have what it takes to give. So wait a minute. You know... God, I was just thinking, I have to do a lap around the church every time I want to touch it. So I can just keep going, and it's a long church, you know, I'm getting old, I get tired. Don't worry about it. I'll give you the strength to come back around. I'll give you more strength to come back around. if you have the willing, if you're willing to come back around, I'll make sure that you come back around. You understand? You need to touch that thing as much as you want and have as much blessing as you want. You just depend on me you trust in me, you have that little word called faith. I'll make it happen. That's what he just said. I'll make it happen. You're my child. I want your socks to be blessed off. I want you to know how much I love you. I want you to know. So go for it. Leave that selfishness behind, that you know that, ooh, I don't know, man, I, I don't know, i got to keep a little bit for myself because, you know, I don't know. Up here on the board, perspective on grace. Grace must first be given through some instrument before it can be received. In order to, for grace to flow freely, it mustn't be hampered by selfishness. And so that's why we just read Second Corinthians, that we want to see God's encouragement. To prime that pump, to get it going. You know, get that grace flowing. Another really effective way to understand whether or not you err on the side of selfishness is to ponder Jesus' own words. Go to John 15, 13. John fifteen, thirteen. So we ponder Jesus' own words. This is another effective way. To understand whether or not you err on the side of selfishness, or not. John fifteen thirteen says, "Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends." There's not a greater greater love has no one than this. This is the pinnacle. This is when you know you're at the you know let's call it the epicenter. You're you're in the middle of the sphere of god's love this is how you know when you're in the middle when you're a full bore man when you're in it you know that's that old saying in it to win it wait nobody ever said that is that like a really old saying i don't know when you're in it right this is how you'll know you will want to lay down your life for your friends read it that way read it like a litmus test Greater love is no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. So this takes us back to the point I made earlier about being in the sphere of God's love. I'm talking about this selfless, and as I mentioned on Sunday, it truly is transformational love. It's not a love you can get out of a romance novel. It's not a love you can get in a marriage even. Not strictly speaking, because unbelievers can get married. It's not that love that we all think about when we think about love. This is a love that changes everything. It changes the whole landscape in our lives. It motivates us. It's it's love that becomes us. That's the best way to think about it. It, it becomes us like we are in love. Do you understand? Like it, we are in love. We are love. We are it becomes us. That's who we are. It's not showy or meant to polish one's reputation before others. Paul gives us critical perspective on this. Up here on the board, Galatians 1.10 in the Amplified reads, Am I now trying to win the favor and approval of men or of God? Or am I seeking to please someone? If I was still trying to be popular with men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. This isn't about that. This is about my love for others. And it may just so happen that I'm not going to be appreciated by others. Like he said, you know, if I love you more, am I to be loved less? That was one of his laments. That's life when you grow up in Christ because you really are going to have this transformational love become you and others are going to be like they might even be offended. They might be secretly jealous and envious because that, my friends, is real power that is real power when you have christ's love you become untouchable the closest people in your life can't knock you down because it no longer is a subjective love it's no longer a love that depends on other people you are now lockstep with christ with god and so you're unflappable and like paul says i'm not gonna change i'm not gonna i'm not gonna get out of that sphere so that I can subject myself for your, to your garbage for your approval. I'm not going to, that's, that's my old way of living, which is why I was miserable. I mean, whoever has ever measured up once by the standards of man? Anyone? You can't. It's a rigged game. You're not supposed to. That's the whole thing. Satan set it up so no one ever wins. He's just on that wheel. God says leave all that behind. You don't need to be approved by anyone but me. My opinion matters and I just told you. We just read it in 2 Corinthians 9. I just told you I will take care of all the thi- I will take care of all the details. You just keep on being blessed by giving of yourself. You let that love become you. You become impenetrable, unflappable, immovable, immutable in your own way. Like no one's going to change your mind. This is who you are. You wake up in the morning and say, this is who I am. I'm in love. And that may sound weird, but I don't care. I'm in love, and you can no longer rob that from me. World. Right? Amen? That's the whole idea. Is that not real power? You bet. That's power. Paul asked the question we all must stand before, right? The question on the board. I mean, who am I trying to please? It's the question that gets to the root of the issue in the past two messages, especially the question on the table. Who are we serving when we lay aside our time or our talent or our finances, let's say? Who, Who are we serving? Who is the ultimate beneficiary? Is it God? Or is it you? If you truly understand Jesus' own words in John 15, 13, then you know the answer for yourself. It reads, Greater love is known than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You can't be more in the epicenter of the sphere of love. You can't be more in love, in other words, when you're laying down your life for your friends that's the pinnacle of it that's how you know you've quote arrived that you your joy is not in receiving your joy is in the privilege of giving you wake up and you say man i got a bum knee a bad back i got a headache i got the coronavirus i got all kinds of stuff but i can make a difference in someone's life because i'm in love and i want to express that love i want the world to see how in love i am i want my love to spill over into the laps of others nobody can stop that train so jesus the truth is jesus has called us into the sphere of his love that's our calling stated differently up here on the board being in love there's no better place to be for you or for others than abiding in the sphere of God's love. John 15, 11 to 14. Verse 13's in the middle of that, of course. It's the best place to be in love. Who, who hasn't ever said that in their life? I bet you if you ask the average teenage kid, um, what do you want? I just, I want to be loved. I want to I wanna find love, right? I want to be in love, right? Is that every, it's a big romantic dream, right? I want to be in love. You mean you want to live a nightmare? Because that's the same thing. The way you define that, that literally ends in a nightmare. So it's this funny thing because God put this in us, this desire for this love and we don't get there until one we're saved and then we grow up in the faith we just don't get there it takes a while to fall in love but the craziest thing of all is you do it between you and the Lord you fall in love with your true husband right that's what's that's the mind blow here there's no better place to be because you're untouchable at that point. What do you even care what others think of you? Oh, but I used to have such a crush on this one. I said, such a crush. On, why do you even care? You have Jesus. Why do you even care? That's why, what a unbelievable blessing for someone even under 20 to be saved oh man what a blessing and to know some of this under the age of 20 how much heartache did they avoid how lucky were they how grateful should they be to their parents for bringing them up in the faith you follow them again my goodness no better place to be and you don't need another human being other than jesus christ in heaven, you don't need another human being to get there. It has nothing to do with that. This is transcendent, powerful, freeing love. This is the love the apostles wrote about uh, up here on the board, 1 Peter uh, 4.8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Keep doing that thing. Encourage each other to stay in the sphere of love. That's where all the goodness is since love covers a multitude of sins, even when someone, you know, goes, falls out, you pull them back in because love covers a multitude of sins. This love gives selfishly, forgives. We started that this evening, right? Forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven us. Selfless love forgives. What's at the very root of the word forgive? Give. Give. It gives mercy, it gives grace, it gives pardon. Love covers a multitude of sins. That's forgiveness. You're giving, forgiving, remember? That's selfless love. Think about that. If you are a purely selfless lover, which means, is tantamount to saying, you forgive... It doesn't even matter when someone sins against you, does it? Because you go, I forgive you. I'm not hampered by it. I'm not bound by it. I'm not going to let you run me over with your car a second time. Right? Because I learn. But I totally forgive you. And therefore, I'm going to sleep like a baby tonight. Even though you literally tried to run me over again. I'm going to forgive you. Is that not power? Nobody has power over you at that point, because even people that try to attack you, you go, "I need to pray for you," just like Jesus said. Pray for your enemies, right? I need to pray for you. You have problems. I need to pray for you. I'm not going to be all wound up over you. I go find some time to pray for you because you are obviously miserable enough to try to run me down. Stab me in the back. Cut me up. Lie about me. I don't know, whatever. Attack me, whatever it is. Think of the freedom, people. Think of the transcendent nature of that kind of love. You are now untouchable. Yeah. I think I'm going to end there that seemed like a good pl- place to end? Yeah, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us this truth that sets us free. Father, that truth be told moves us to this place of being untouchable. Father, what a place of power and resolve and freedom. Thank you, Lord, for giving us this place with you as a child of yours, Father. We're just so grateful the grace that you've shown us, the mercy while we were hopeless and helpless. Enemies of yours taught us what that looks like, Father. May we imitate you here on earth as instruments of righteousness, Father. Giving of our own love through you as we learn and grow in the faith. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit we do pray. Amen. Thank you.